So who thinks they're the toughest person in the room? Who thinks they're the toughest person in the room? You can't volunteer other people. <laughs> Josh got talked into that one. That's good. What's, what's the toughest thing that you've ever done? Like, so I'm hearing beating up a lion. I'm hearing talking to girls. Um, toughest thing you've ever done. Watching the Cowboys play. Also, great point. Great point. That's not what the referees thought on Sunday. Um, Chris says marriage. Okay. That's kind of rough. Lillian says giving birth to a child. Okay. I think, I think we're at the winner at that point. Um, yeah, I was thinking like, if you think you're really tough, a lot of people like to do those ice bath things, right? Or they like cryotherapy, right? Where they get really cold, right? I don't like getting that cold. I don't like, I don't like that. I'd, I'd rather do like a really hot shower than like a really cold thing. Some people think they're tough because maybe they've like broken a bone or something. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you didn't do that on purpose. You've broken a bone, that's tough. Other people are like, they think they're really tough because maybe they, uh, I don't know, maybe they've like burned their hand on a candle or something or like on the stove. You ever grabbed a, like a pan or something that you don't know is hot and you grab it and it's like hot and you burn your hand? That's tough. I would categorize you as tough. I don't know how tough. But there are some things that are even, um, even tougher. Like it's one thing to like get hurt and to kind of recover. That takes a little bit. It's another thing. I mean, how tough would you have to be to like have pain every day. Like if you had, if you had a really bad back problem, right? Where you, you have pain every day. I bet you a lot of your parents have that. Or your grandparents have that. Or, I mean, you could take it another step further and say, well, what if they have like a really bad disease and they're always in pain every day or they're bedridden? Like that's even harder. And I think the thing that makes that harder is not because every second is more painful, right? Because you can go through something painful that's short, but things get more painful the longer you're in that pain. I don't know if you notice that. Whatever it is, things get worse and worse. Even if the pain doesn't get worse, it, it gets harder and harder when you feel like you're not getting relief. You feel like it's not getting better. And well, the same thing happens when you have a relationship with God and some things seem hard and sometimes it feels like things aren't getting any better in your life. You're praying about something and it just, it doesn't get answered and you feel like God is really far away. Well, that's the feeling that David had. And that's the that's the context we have when we look at the psalm we're going to look at tonight. Remember, we looked at that chart of psalms, different types of songs. This one's a sad song, okay? So tonight's song is a lament psalm. It's a sad song. I want you to open your Bibles to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. This is a sad song. And the feeling that David is going to tell us about is a feeling that a lot of people have had. It's not unique to David, but the idea is he has this hard time that's going on. It doesn't tell us exactly what it is. But the problem is it feels like when he's praying to God, that God's not answering. So much so that it feels like God doesn't want to listen to him. He describes it in a way. He says, it feels like God forgot about me. Something really hard is going on. We're not exactly sure what it is. We might have some guesses, but what do we do when we're in pain? Right? Well, the good thing that we do for Christians, we go to God, right? And that's what David does. He goes to God. The problem is he went to God over and over again, and it felt like God wasn't hearing his prayers. What do you do then? If you sit in pain for a long time, 
whether it be heartbreak, whether it be death in the family, whether it be physical pain or whatever it is, what do you do if you feel like God's not answering your prayer? That's the question that this text gives us. Well, we're going to see what he says here. So Psalm chapter 13, look at verse 1. It says, to the choir master, a Psalm of David. So David wrote this thing. What does he say? He asks God a question. He asks God a question. What question does he ask? He asks it four times. He says, how long, O Lord? What does that mean, how long? It means, how long are you not going to answer my prayer? How long am I going to have to suffer in the way that I'm suffering? Because it feels like this is getting really long. It feels like maybe you should have answered my prayer before, but this feels like a long time. Look what he says. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? The question for us is, does God ever forget about David? Does God ever forget about us? Well, the truth is, no, he never forgets, but that is certainly what it feels like sometimes. And that's what David shows us. It does feel like God forgets us sometimes. He says, how long will you hide your face from me? What does that mean? Well, I think whenever we look at the Bible and we see God's face, what that means is it's like God's favor is on somebody. When God's face is shining at somebody, the Old Testament shows that as things are going well for them. Right? Even if it's inner peace, it's like, oh, I know God's face is shining on me. It reminds us of what we learned in Psalm 1, verse 6, where it says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. It feels like, yeah, God knows me. I'm good. Things are hard, but I'm good because God knows me. This time, it feels like God turns his face away. And it feels like, for David, I don't know if God hears my prayers. Look what he says next. He asks again, how long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul? That means I want to go tell someone about this. I want to go talk about this. Really, I want to complain about this, but the only person I have that even cares is me. I'm alone. And I feel like I'm trying to complain to God about this and say, God, why aren't you fixing this problem? But the thing is, it's like, I'm, you're not, I'm not hearing anything. Not, I don't feel like this is getting answered. I don't even feel like you hear me, God. So he's saying, I'm taking counsel on my soul. I'm talking to myself here. I feel alone. He says, how long will I have sorrow in my heart? all the day. So it's clearly something sad is going on. He asks, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So I think that gives us a clue as to what's happening in David's life. It seems like someone who's against David and maybe even against God looks like they're winning and they're doing bad things to David. And it's like David's praying to God asking, can you stop this bad person from doing bad things to me? And then God lets them do bad things to you, right? How do you feel? It's like, well, God, aren't you supposed to protect me? Don't you love me? It feels like he's not answering my prayer. That's what he says here. So the enemy is over David. Look at verse three. He says, consider and answer me. That's two, that's two requests in one. Consider me. So think about me, God, please, and answer me. When we pray and we feel like God's not listening, those are two words that are important. We're like asking God, please consider what's going on in my life. It feels like you're not listening. And then he says, answer me, please, O Lord, my God. He went from calling him just, oh Lord. Now he's saying, oh Lord. And what does he remember? You're my God. You're my Lord. You care about me. So he's starting to remember these things and he's asking God. Look what he asked God. This is the main thing he asked God for. Verse three, he says, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. So that's why I think David's probably in a life or death scenario here. He's probably fighting, I would assume, when Saul is trying to take his life. That's probably what's going on here. But he basically says, I, I feel like I could die really soon, God. And, it, and if you don't step in and help me, I'm going to die. That's the life or death scenario that he's in. But he's also saying, I've been praying about this and it feels like you're not answering me. So please, God, light up my eyes. The Old Testament says that that means like your, your spirit comes back. You're, you're healthy again. When Elijah was famished, he didn't have food, and then he eats, it says his eye was bright again. When Jonathan took honey, um, 
In the book of 1 Samuel, he took honey and he ate it. It says his eyes were bright again. The idea is it's like you got a good night's sleep. You had a good um, rest. But he says, it's like I'm going to die. Then he says in verse 4, lest, because if you don't answer my prayer, he says, my enemy will say, I have prevailed over him. He says, God, you don't want my enemy, who's also your enemy, God, to say, look, I just took out David. I took out God's servant. Look at that, everybody. I am better than David. I am better than the Lord. He's like, I don't want anyone to say that, and neither do you, God. And he says, lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. So that's why I don't think this is probably a health problem. I think this is probably we have an actual enemy who's trying to kill David. But he's saying, how long are you not going to answer this prayer? Now, that's a lot of sad information. That's a sad song. Look at verse 5. Everything changes in verse 5. Starts with the word but. It says, but, although all that's true, how long, O Lord, please consider me and answer me, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. What happens between verse four and five? All right, look at your Bible. Nothing happens, right? It's just, it just goes right from verse four to verse five. I think that's the point. David is complaining to God. Then he's taking his complaints, turning them into requests. And then after he requests from God, nothing changes about his situation. But now he's trusting God. Look what happens when he trusts God. Look how his attitude shifts. He says, I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I thought you said uh, I wasn't being saved, which again, salvation, sometimes we just think of that as like Jesus died for our sins. You have to know the Old Testament uses that word to talk about big salvation, eternal salvation, and also small-term salvation. Like God saved my life. Like you could say, wow, look at the salvation God has given me because Saul wanted to kill me and now Saul doesn't want to kill me. God, you've delivered me by your salvation. You'd say, well, that's not like salvation with a capital S. That's true. But the Bible still uses the word salvation to talk about both things. Point is, he's saying, God, you have saved my life. Look at all the times you've done it in the past. Verse number six. He was just asking God how long. Now he's saying, I will sing to the Lord. I'll sing. How are you singing? Things did not get better. They didn't get better. But now he's singing. What happened? He complained. He requested. He trusted. And now he's singing. He's rejoicing. That's what happens when you go to God. He says, I'll sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Bountifully. That means like he's given me so much, even though he feels like God has not given me much at all because he's not answering my prayer. David remembers, oh no, now that I'm thinking about it, God has done so much for me. Okay. The reason I want to look at this Psalm, and it might feel like a random one for us to look at um, as the narrow junior high ministry. The reason I want to look at this Psalm is it gives you and me a model for what do we do when we're going through hard times. How do we pray through hard times? What do we do? What, what are the things that we should bring to God? Is it okay to go to God and, and even ask how long? Is that okay to do or is that a bad thing to do? Right? This answers a lot of questions for us when it comes to how we pray. Okay, so that's the big idea tonight. How do we pray? Let's look at Psalm 13 and say, how are we gonna pray through hard times? Because again, I would assume that most of you are not going through a life or death hard time, but I also know that others of you probably are. Maybe there are people in your family that have died. Maybe there's people in your family that are going through hard things. Maybe they're going through cancer. Maybe they're going through divorce, right? There's a lot of things probably going on on the outside in your life. So I know that as we look at Psalm 13, many of you are right in the middle of this. And you really can think about this. How do I pray to God about these things? Okay, that's what we're going to look at tonight. So point number one comes from these first couple verses, which says this. I want you to follow David's example and bring your pain to God in prayer. Bring your pain to God in prayer. 
Sometimes I think we think that we're not allowed to do this. It's like, can I actually tell God that I'm hurting? Well, I think David gives us a good example of a person who, yeah, he is hurting and he goes to God. Notice what he doesn't do. He does not go complain to other people. You don't see that here. He doesn't say, God, I've complained to everyone else. Now I'm coming to you. He goes to God and he gives it to God. And he says, God, how long? It feels like you're not answering my prayers. It feels like you're not helping me out in this hard situation. He, he asks that over and over again. He doesn't say, hey, I'm complaining to everyone in my life about this. Big thing is you're supposed to go to God with your pain. We're not supposed to go and complain to other people, okay? There's a difference. Again, I'm not saying that you can never share your, your burdens with other people. The New Testament talks about how we're supposed to weep with those who weep, right? And rejoice with those who rejoice. So I'm not saying you can never share anything. But our reaction when we're going through hard things, our first reaction, this is a huge thing we need to take away from point number one, is I need to go to God for this. I said that this is David's life and we don't know exactly where this falls, but I want you to think about David's life. Those of you that, you know, you know your Bibles, you know some things about David. Remember, he was a teenager. He was the youngest of the whole crew. He didn't look that impressive, but God chose him to be king. God said, you're going to be king. Now, he was anointed as king. Now, I want you to imagine 10 years later, when he's not 15 anymore, let's say he's 25, 26, when Saul wants to kill him, you know one thing he might be thinking? You know, God if I die right now, your promise doesn't come true. You, you promised that I was going to be king. So are you going to fulfill that promise or am I going to die? Because I, I don't see how both of those go together. I think that's a good point. So he's remembering a promise that he was given as a teenager and he's saying, God, are you going to keep your promise? That's a huge thing he's saying here. But he's going to God about this. In 1 Samuel 16, he's anointed king. 1 Samuel 17, you guys know this story. He goes and fights that giant named Goliath. What does he do? Even in that, he says, I'm going to fight you. And he says, I'm going to kill you. He actually says, I'm going to cut off your head. <laughs> and then he says, I'm going to do that because you are defying the Lord. And I fight for the Lord. And I'm going to do this. And God is going to give me the victory so that everyone's going to know that God is the only God. That's what he does. And then things seem to be going well for David. And then in chapter 18, he becomes friends with Jonathan, Saul's son. And immediately Saul gets mad and he gets jealous of David because David has, has all this success. And even in chapter 18, Saul tries to kill David. One chapter in the Bible, after David is killing Goliath, Saul is trying to kill David. And for the next like 15 chapters in the book of 1 Samuel, it's all about Saul trying to chase down and kill David. Even in the process, Saul offers his daughter to be married to David. So now it's not just the king wants to kill me, it's your father-in-law wants to kill you. Over and over again, he tries to kill him. Why? What did David do wrong? Nothing. He didn't do anything wrong to be killed. And that's the hard part. It feels like this is unfair, God. You picked me to be king. Right? Imagine being David. Right? It's like, God, you picked me to be king. You said I was going to do this. I didn't ask to do this. I didn't sign up for this. And now I've got this crazy guy trying to kill me. I never asked for this. But God, it was all your choice. You wanted me to be a part of this. So are you going to answer my prayer or not? That's the feeling. Okay? I want you to even see how interesting it is that the Bible puts this on display seemingly as a good thing that David goes to God about this, that we can, be, we can be encouraged by this, that the feeling of being far away from God and God not hearing our prayers is not a, it's not a sinful thing, right? It's a feeling described in the word, yes, and it could be caused by sin. Like, for example, if God feels far away because you're choosing to do a bunch of sinful things, then yeah, that's bad. 
but it doesn't have to be because of that. There could just be times where things are really hard and it feels like God's not hearing your prayers. I think David shows us that here. His life was hard. There was even times where in the Old Testament, the authors use this language of asking God, have you forgotten about me? about the whole nation. There's a time, you might know that book uh, called Lamentations. Remember that little book, Lamentations? Right after Jeremiah. Lamentations chapter five, at the end of that book, Jeremiah talks in it, and he says, at the very end, this is Jeremiah, or Lamentations 5.19, he says, but you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures through all generations. I know that you're the king above all kings, but why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? It's like you, you were with us for a while, but now it's like you're gone. And he says, restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless, and this is the last line in the whole book, he says, unless you've utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. He's calling on God, please answer our prayers. And the prayer at that time was for the city to one day be delivered and, and be restored. But the same thing can happen for person to person in our lives. We, we feel like, God was so good to me at one point, but now everything is hard. Everything's going wrong. There's, there's health problems in my family. Maybe my parents aren't getting along. Maybe grandma or grandpa are sick. It's like, it's really hard, okay? What do we do? How do we pray? Verse I want you to think about, probably you've heard this verse before, but I want you to write it down. Philippians 4, verses six and seven. Philippians 4, verses six and seven. It talks about praying when we're anxious. It talks about praying when we're fearful and worried, what do we do? Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything. So don't stay worried. You got things to be worried about? Are they real things? Yes. Just like David's things are very real things. Okay. In his, we're probably life and death. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. Supplication means asking for things. So by praying to God, talking to God, and asking God for things. He says, with prayer and supplications, with thanksgiving. That's interesting. Thanksgiving. So when we're hurting and we're going to God and we want to pray about something that's hard for us and we tell God our pain, okay, what needs to accompany that? What comes alongside of that? Well, the, the requests, right? The supplications, but also thanksgiving. That's what David does in Psalm 13. Do you see what he does right there at the end in verse number five? He says, I've trusted in your steadfast love and my heart rejoices in your salvation. Although it hurts right now, something bad is going on. I know that you have saved me. I know that you've been good to me in the past. And I know that you'll be good to me in the future. I trust that even though it doesn't feel like it right now. That's what Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is talking about. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's an open invitation that God has for you. You can take your requests, whether they're sad, whether they're big, whether they're small. God says, you can give those to me. Right? You ever feel like there's times where maybe you've got something hard and you, know, you could go to your parents about it, but they seem really busy, right? And it's like, oh, I don't want to bother them right now, right? Dad's at the workbench or you know, mom's in the kitchen, she's cleaning something or you know, I, I don't want to go to them. You know, dad's on the recliner, right? I don't want to ask him something hard right now. Like, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's time right now, right? That happens with, with all of our parents, right? It happens with all of us, and even you, right? With your friends. Maybe, you know, if you're sleeping and a friend says, hey, I really need some help, you're like, I'm sleeping, okay? So there's times where we're all, like, we don't want to be addressed. Here's what God says. You can ask me things at any time, 
anytime. I, I'm not too busy. You can come talk to me anytime. Okay. You might be thinking, what gives you the right to do that? If you're thinking that, you're probably thinking like the Bible talks about. You don't have the right to do that. Okay. You can't just do it because you exist. Right. We can do it because of what Jesus did for us. The book of Hebrews talks about how Jesus stands between us and God. And it's like when you pray, Jesus is the one who like, it's almost as if the Bible says like he repeats those prayers. It's like he's giving those to God and God is hearing those prayers, not just from your mouth and your heart. It's like God is hearing them filtered through Jesus. Like Jesus is delivering those to him. So the requests that that we give to God, it's like Jesus is delivering those. That's, That's hugely important. It says, in verse 7, this is Philippians 4, 7. It says, when we do that, it says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How do we have peace? Well, we go to God and pray, and we thank God in our prayers, and then we trust that God hears us, and then God does hear us, and then we have peace. Okay? That doesn't change the situation. doesn't change the circumstance. Right? God might change the circumstance later, right? but you can have a totally different perspective even when things are really hard, and even when you're hurting. That's what this text is saying. Another text I want you to turn to, I want you to look at this, 1 Peter chapter 5. Everybody look at 1 Peter chapter 5 in the New Testament, towards the end of your Bibles. 1 Peter 5. We look at verse 7. 1 Peter 5. It says something similar to Philippians 4, but there's more detail here, and I want you to see the more detail because some of us might get tripped up with that enemy language. Like, well, I don't have an enemy. Like, I don't have somebody who's like trying to attack me. I don't have someone who's trying to make my life hard and make me disobey God. Right? Well, this text is going to say, yeah, maybe you do, and you don't think about this enemy. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. After he told them to be humble, right, after that, he says, verse number 7, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So whatever the scary thing is, whatever the bad thing is, the idea is it's like you're supposed to take it and like put it on God's shelf, right? Like I'm going to take it and I'm going to put it somewhere else, right? Casting it means to throw it on God, right? Like he's going to take it in his pile. It was in your pile before your heart. Now it's like you take it out of your heart, you put it and you give it to God and then you leave it there, okay? Then, you, then you're like, okay, I'm putting that, giving that to God and I'm going to leave it there, casting your anxieties on him. Then what does it say? Because he cares for you. The idea is, if things are hard, God says, pray to me, talk to me. I care about you. I want to hear what's going on. I want to hear it. Not that he doesn't know, not that he actually forgot about David, but he's inviting this kind of sharing of the anxiety from us to God because he cares for you. Now look at verse eight. You might be thinking, well, what about that enemy language? Look at verse eight. It says, you need to be sober-minded. That means be like aware and alert. It says, be watchful, right? Look out, watch where you're watching, walking. And it says, your adversary, your enemy. That's what the word adversary means, your enemy. So you have an enemy too. That's interesting because David has an enemy that wants to kill David. That's Saul. Right? Guess what? You have an enemy too if you're a Christian. You've got someone that's trying to take you out. So you can't look at Psalm 13 and say, well, the difference between me and David is I've got no one that's trying to attack me. I've got no one who's my enemy. Well, that might be true in your real life on the outside where you've got no like people who are trying to fight you, but the scriptures say you also have an enemy that is trying to fight you no matter what. Even if you have no humans that are trying to fight you, you have a, a person that is trying to fight you. It says your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So you might have pain 
and things that are hard that don't come from the outside, so to speak. They don't come from not having enough to eat or having enough clothes to wear, right? It could come from even temptation. It can come from Satan himself, right? That we could have temptation and that things are hard. And it's like, I have this pain because I want to obey God, but it's really hard to obey God. I want to stop saying those words, right? I want to obey God and say the right thing and have the right attitude, but it's hard. Right? Well, how long, O oh Lord, is the prayer? I don't want my enemy to rule over me. I don't want my enemy to be dominant. I don't want even, for us, I don't even want Satan to use me to sin against others. I don't want to be used by the, by the devil. Then he says, verse nine, resist him. Look at it. It says, resist him, firm in your faith, firm in your trust. That is back to Psalm 13, verse five, his trust in God. Firm your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. That means if you're a Christian, there are people that are going through hard times right now that are also saved by Jesus. They're living right now somewhere else. Maybe they're across the room. Maybe they're across the world. The whole point is it's really hard, but they're feeling this pain and they're going through it too. And God is comforting them too. You have a real enemy. And even when it feels like God's not answering, I want us to turn back to Psalm 13. Check out Psalm 13, verse four. Let's turn back there in our Bible. Psalm 13, verse four, or verse three rather. When it feels like God's not answering, what do we do? Well, we bring our prayer to God. Right? If we've got pain, something that's hard, we bring that to God for sure. But then look what David does. After almost complaining to God, then he starts asking things. Consider, answer me, light up my eyes. All from verse three. Those are requests. And then in verse four, what he does is he connects those requests to God. He, request, he connects them to God. Here's what I mean by that. He asks God for things, but he doesn't just say, God, it'd be really good if um, you would just take this problem away from me. It's not what he does. He asks for the problem to be taken away, but then look what he does. He connects it in verse four. He says, lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Okay, who's the enemy? Saul, or if not Saul, maybe it's his son Absalom later on. It's an enemy. Say, I've prevailed over David. Who is David? Well, David is God's person. He's connecting it to God. He's saying, my well-being is wrapped up in your promise keeping. Okay? If you're going to keep your promise, God, which he's trusting that he will, and he's asking for God to keep his promise, he says, my well-being here is wrapped up in, in your promises because you promised I'd be king. You promised that I would make it. So if I don't make it, and my enemy stands over my dead body and says, look, I killed David, what are they going to say? Well, I, I changed God's plan. Right? God said this was the plan. Now I've changed it. Look at what I've done. So even there, he's like saying, God, don't let this happen because you're going to look bad. God, if this continues, you will look bad. It's the same prayer that we see all over the Bible where multiple people, and we'll go through that in a minute, but multiple people pray to God and say, God, answer this prayer for your sake. Just like what Jesus says in the New Testament, right? Ask anything in my name, according to my will. God will answer those prayers. Point number two is this. When you pray, I want you to recall God's promises. Point number two, recall God's promises when you pray. David is remembering the promises that God has given him. The promise for him specifically was that he would be king, okay? I think that's pretty clear from the book of 1 Samuel, the book of 2 Samuel too. Because right, again, if this is not Saul, let's just say it is Absalom later on. Absalom was his son, remember this story? Right, where his son ran him out of town, right? He was living in Jerusalem. He made him leave Jerusalem. Then Absalom chased him out and he got killed and then he came back. 
all that stuff, where David had to leave his house and he had to run for his life. If that's the situation that this came in, well then, you also have the promise that God made to David in 2 Samuel 7, right? We call it the Davidic covenant, the time where God said, you're my guy, your family is gonna rule. You guys are gonna be in charge. I'm promising my steadfast love on you and on your descendants. So you got a promise that he's holding on to. And I think that's his idea. He's, he's connecting it to a promise. David remembers his promise. He was gonna be king. He was gonna have his steadfast love on him. Reminds us, I know we looked at that book of Isaiah uh, last time, that was the last book that we looked at, right? Isaiah 49, I want you to write this down. Isaiah 49, verse 14, 15, 16. Isaiah 49, 14, 15, 16. Isaiah 49, 14 says, but Zion, which is that Jerusalem, Jerusalem might say the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten about me. That's how it felt. And then God asks a question. He says, can a woman forget her nursing child? that she have no compassion on the son of her womb? Wow, that's an interesting question. So as the people say, God, it feels like you've forgotten about me, God responds with a question for them. He says, okay, do you think that a mom can forget about their kid that they've raised? Do you think they can forget? Is that how it works? Or they just, oh, I forgot about you, right? right? No, that's not how it works. They don't forget. But look what God says. He says, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Answer, well, no, of course. She's gonna remember her kid. God says, even they may forget. It's possible. It's possible for a mom to forget her child. Yet I will not forget you. I won't forget you. A mom could forget her child and like have no idea who that person is. That's possible. It happens in our world today. It happened back then. Here's the thing that's impossible, that God would ever forget his people, ever. God will never forget. Then he says, behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. I think we're talking about Jerusalem, but isn't it interesting that that language about something being engraved on the palm of his hands, right? That is so interesting because there's something later on that that Yahweh in the flesh will have engraved on the palm of his hands. Think about that that Jesus takes in his hands. Why does he for all of eternity have holes in his hands? Well, he has that because he's he's showing us for all of eternity, hey, I died for you. I care about you. I love you. So like David, you might not think, okay, God didn't come down to me and say, you're going to be king. You you are for sure going to live. Like that's true. The Bible doesn't say that, that you're going to be king or that you're going to live. But the Bible does say that if you trust in Christ, that God has forgiven you, that you're one of God's people. First John three, verse one says that this great love that God has for us that makes us children of God right now is true. That you, if you're a real Christian, you're God's kid now and God will never, ever forget about you. So when you're tempted to think, yeah, it feels like God's not listening feels like God did forget about me. The answer is, you might think that like David did, but adjust your heart a little bit. Remember what God has done because he hasn't forgotten about you. So this praying and remembering God's promises, I want to remind you of some times in the Bible that this happens. This is not a one-off thing. There are many people in the Bible who when they pray, the thing that they reference when they're talking to God is they're saying, hey God, remember you promised this? So Please keep your promise. That's what the basis, the anchor of their prayers is God's promises. It's not a baseless request. It's not like if you said, hey, mom and dad, when when am I going to get a Lamborghini? When am I going to get a Lamborghini? 
like, well, uh, when am I going to get a Tesla? It's like, well, I didn't promise you a Tesla, right? But if they were dumb enough to do that, um, let's say they did promise you a Lamborghini, um, then I suppose you could demand it because they promised it. And they said, I'm going to give you a Lamborghini on your 13th birthday. Any of your parents say that? No? I'm the only one? No, my parents didn't say that to me. No. Um, my 13th birthday, right? I'm get a, a Lamborghini. Maybe they'll get you a little toy car. That'd be funny. Um, but yeah, like if they said, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Now you have something to hold on to, right? Well, they said it. So I guess if I really believe them, I guess they're going to do it, right? Or you don't believe them because they probably can't do that, right? That's the problem. If you think, oh, well, they can't do that, then you're not going to believe them. But if you believe God can fulfill his promises, then you will believe every promise of God. And that will help you when things are hurting. I said there's people in the Bible that did this. I'll give you a quick list of things to write down real quick under point number two. Exodus 33, verses 15 and 16, Moses does this. He asks God, God, please come with us to the promised land because if you don't come with us, we will not be a distinct people. We will blend in with everybody else and we'll be sinners just like the rest of the world. So Moses asks God, please keep your promise. Please come with us. And God says, okay, I will. Moses does that. Another person who does this is David. Not just here. He does it in that passage I referenced, 1 Samuel 17, when he's about to kill Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, verse 46. He says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That's why he has that boldness. It's because everyone's gonna know that you're God and that their gods are fake, that you're the only God. He says, and I want this whole assembly, all the people who are fighting right now, I want all of them to know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear. Doesn't matter who has the biggest army, doesn't matter who's the most popular. He says the battle is the Lord's and he'll give you into our hand. So David does the same thing elsewhere. Okay? So Moses does it. David does it. Another guy who does it, Elijah. Okay? Elijah does it in 1 Kings 18. Elijah does it in 1 Kings 18 verse 36. It says that Elijah the prophet, when he's fighting against those prophets of Baal, remember that story where the, the prophets of Baal are there and there's two altars and you know, the prophets of Baal call out on their false gods all day long and they say, oh, Baal, like, please, please give us some fire from heaven, right? And Elijah says, okay, let me try, right? I'm gonna ask my God. And it says he calls on God. This is 1 Kings 18, verse 36. And he prays this. Listen what he prays. He says, oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me. O Lord, answer me that these people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. End of prayer. Pretty short prayer. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offerings and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up all the water that was in the trench. In a moment, God answers his prayers. Well, why? Well, what does Elijah do? He bases this prayer and he says, God, you promised this is for your good. This is for your glory. I'm asking that you would keep your promise for your sake, not just mine, but for yours. Daniel does this too. I don't know if you know this. Daniel chapter nine, Daniel does something similar. 
When he prays, he's asking God, this is at the end of the exile, right after the people have been in Babylon for 70 years, Daniel says, wow, it's been 70 years. And he prays to God and he says, God, please take us back. Please bring us back in the land. The end of his prayer, it's a big long prayer in Daniel chapter nine, but Daniel 9, 19, he says, oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive us. Oh Lord, pay attention and act. Do you see how this just sounds so much like Psalm 13? It's like the same language in all of these texts. It says, oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. He's saying like, because you promised this. It's not like a baseless, God, please just do this for us. Where does he have all this boldness? You don't have boldness to ask your parents for a Lamborghini. You just don't, right? If, unless you're dumb, right? Like you just don't, right? If you're thinking, well, they didn't promise me that, right? But if they promised you, hey, we're gonna go to you know, Panera Bread tomorrow um, or Mod Pizza, I don't know, something like low bar, no offense, Panera Bread fans, right? But something like easy, like low bar. If they said, what if they told you multiple times, I promise you, I promise you, tomorrow we're going to Panera Bread. Tomorrow we're going to Mod Pizza. I promise, I promise, I promise. And I'm like, okay, well, you promised, right? And then it's like 11 a.m. tomorrow morning. Guess what you're thinking? Panera Bread it is. I'm gonna get one of those bowls with the, with the bread bowl and I'm gonna maybe the mac and cheese in the bread bowl because I want a carbo load just because I'm a, you know, I like carbs or whatever. Maybe you get the soup and the salad. You're thinking about that, right? And if, and if you felt like, wow, I mean, am I going to go to Panera Bread tomorrow? And not, it's not tomorrow. It's today at this point, right? We're feeling like Panera Bread in an hour, right? We're getting hungry. And you ask, hey, when are we going to go to Panera Bread? How, how long? How long? When are we going to go to Panera Bread? Hey, you, you promised. You, pro- you promised this. Right? It sounds aggressive, right? You promised this, but this is really for your sake. Because maybe you're getting Panera Bread points or something. I don't know how it can be for your parents' sake. But follow that, I guess, right? God answers the prayers, not just for our sake, but also for his sake, especially when they're connected to his promises. Jesus says this in John 15, John 15, seven and eight. He says, if you abide in me, if you remain close to me and my words abide in you, basically saying if what's going on inside your heart is all the time, the words of Jesus, he says this, if that's true, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So it's like, if your mind is constantly filled with God's word, and specifically here with the words of Jesus, then you take those things and you pray those, guess what? He's like, yeah, I'll answer those prayers. Because you're, you're praying, well, Jesus, you know, remember when Jesus said that I need to show love to one another? Jesus said that, you know, if I'm gonna be the best, I need to be the servant of all. God, please help me be the servant of all. It's like, okay, I start praying those things that Jesus talked about. Guess what God's gonna do? He's gonna answer those prayers every single time because they're based in his promises. That's the idea. We see that in the Old Testament, the New Testament. I think that's what we see right here in Psalm 13. But the question is, how often do you do that? How often do you do that? Or do you just pray, thank you for the food, amen? Do you pray, oh, I hope this person has a good day? Right? Again, it's a start, but let's take it further. Let's learn how to really pray here. Let's say, okay, God, please grow this person. And thinking of all the New Testament epistles where Paul prays for people to grow spiritually. He talks about, hey, God, please, please grow them. Fill them with a knowledge of your love and a knowledge of your word. Please, for, for your sake, God, because you want to bear fruit in their life. Because you promised in, in John 15, you promised that you're glorified when they bear a lot of good spiritual fruit. So God, please grow this person in my small group because you, know, you told me in your word that God gets glory when, when they live righteous lives. And, and I know from your word that it says that we're his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. So God, you promised that. God, please help this person continue to do good today. Please help this person obey their parents. Because the Bible says, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. So it's like, see how you can pray and then have the Bible be with your prayers. And you see how that's a different kind of prayer. That's a better kind of prayer. And the example I just gave you was praying for someone in your small group, right? But you could take that and say, well, I could pray for my small group leader. I could pray for my parents. I could pray for my pastors at church. I could pray. I mean, take those things and, and use the word. Don't just, don't just go without the richness of God's word. You have God's word. Pray it back to God. I think that's what David's doing. I think he's taking God's promise and remembering it and bringing it back to God. And then look what happens in verse five, right? You guys are all in Psalm 13. What does verse five say? It says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I'll sing to the Lord. He has joy now, even though Saul is still trying to kill him because he's remembering God has saved me in the past. He's gonna save me again. He made his promises. He always keeps his promises. I know about Abraham. I know about Isaac. I know about Jacob. I've been reading about, and for us in the DBR, I've been reading about what he did with the Israelites. He always kept his promises. He led them with a pillar of fire and a cloud by night. I know he's gonna lead me through his word. I just know that God's gonna be faithful again. That changes our perspective, especially when we're going through hard things. Point number three, trust God's faithful love and have joy. Trust God's faithful love. That's what the word steadfast love means, faithful love. Steadfast means faithful, means he keeps his promises, and love. You know what that word means. He constantly showing good to his people. Again, the good that he decides, that he promised. I told you, remember David's pain in point number one. And we talked about that. I said, remember the promises that were made to David. We talked about that, his promises to be king. Well, I, now I want you to think of David's good gifts that he got from God. Let's think about that real quick. So I mentioned David, um, kind of a nobody when he's a little kid. Not super important, not super impressive even. But he's chosen out of all his brothers that are bigger, stronger, more impressive. And God chooses the weak, short, little, scrawny one. He chooses him and he says, you're going to be king. Is that goodness that God has shown to David? Absolutely. Chosen to be king? I don't deserve that. Yeah, exactly. He's shown God's goodness. Then, next scene, Goliath. What happens? He gives the victory to to David because David does it for the Lord. Oh, I remember God's salvation. What does that mean? I remember when I was standing there. Imagine David saying this. I remember I looked Goliath dead in the eyes. I'm standing there. I get my slingshot out and and I I knock him over. Then I grab his sword and cut off his head. Wow, that's wow. I mean, God really saved me out of that one, right? He's a giant. I'm a kid. He really saved me out of that one. I've seen God's salvation happen for me. If this is happening during Saul's trying to take him out, it didn't just happen one time. Saul tried to kill him in a number of different ways. And every time, if David stopped and thought, he could say, well, I'm, I'm asking how long, O oh Lord, but I remember God saved me last time and the time before that and the time before that. that. That's what he's doing. He sustained him in the wilderness. He gave him a special place to stay. If this is Absalom's time, maybe David can remember, yeah, I, I, I had the kingdom given to me. Yeah, it took seven years of fighting these other tribes, but, but now all of Israel is following me. Right? I don't know when David wrote this, so we can't exactly pinpoint it. But the point is he can always look back at a time where God saved him, where God did something good for him. And that means that for you and me, we have to look back at a time where God has saved and put our hope in the future based on what God has done in the past. 
Okay, that was kind of complicated, but here's what I want you to think about. You're putting hope in God for the future because of what God has done in the past. Now, when I use the word salvation, what are you immediately thinking of? You're probably thinking of, oh, well, what Jesus did for me. What did Jesus do for you? I'd argue that God has done more for you if you're a Christian than what he did for David in saving him out of, you know, Goliath's hand. If Jesus has died for you and you trust in his life, death, and resurrection, then he's done more for you than he even did for David. So when you look back, you can think of what Jesus said on the cross. We said, it is finished. I paid for sin. Right? We think of maybe a, psalm or a, a, a verse like this, 1 Peter 1.8, which Peter talks about people who are suffering, going through a hard time. He says, though you have not seen him, and, and Peter's thinking, I saw him. I know what Jesus looks like. I know what he smells like. I know all these things about Jesus. You don't, just like I don't. I never saw Jesus. You never saw Jesus. Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. It's like, yeah, you're going through a really hard time, but you're singing. How do you have that joy? Well, because Peter says, I know how you have that joy. Because though you haven't seen Jesus face to face, you know him and you love him and he knows you and he loves you. Romans 8.32 says something similar. Paul says there, says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So it's like, if Jesus died for me, if that's true, okay, and I'm concerned that God's not gonna take care of me through this little thing, well, then I, my trust is not in the right place. Okay? And again, that doesn't mean you don't feel the pain. That doesn't mean, you know, we don't mourn with those who mourn. But if you're feeling that pain, it's like, okay, that's where David started. But look how he's stepping out of that. He's asking how long. Then he's asking for specific things. And then he's singing at the end. Nothing changed. All the hardship, all the bad things are still there. But now his attitude is completely different because he's trusting God. One more verse I want you to turn to. Psalm chapter 34. I want you to see this because I think this describes David's feeling and what happens to him after things go well for him. Psalm 34. You're in Psalm 13. Look at Psalm 34. Just flip over a few pages to the right. This is after one of those times David was saved. This was when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. So this is after he saved from a Philistine town and he thought he was going to die and then God saves him. Okay, look at verse four. Look what he says. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. He had all these fears, all these people wanting to attack him, but God saved him out of that place. Those who look to him are radiant. I love that word radiant. You know what that word radiant has to do with? The word light. What does David pray for in Psalm 13? Lighten my eyes, same idea. Give me back the, the, the joy of life. Says, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Those who turn to God, their faces will never be ashamed. Verse number six. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. This poor man. Look at how he views himself. He's like, this poor man. I'm just like, I, God doesn't even need to listen to my prayers. Right? This is David, King David that we're talking about. So this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, saved him out of all of his troubles. Look at verse number seven. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. It's like this picture. Imagine, you know, you're fighting a battle and, and you're the tent in the middle. And now you got all these armies that surround you that are there to protect you. That's the idea. It's like God, the angel of the Lord 
surrounds those who what? Who fear him, who trust God, who look to God as their God, and he delivers them. Verse number eight, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Remember Psalm 1-1, blessed is the man. That phrase shows up in Psalms a lot. Right, that says, happy is the person. Who's the happy person here? Well, it's the person who trusts God and takes refuge in God. It says that, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. If you belong to God, fear God. For those who fear him have no lack. They don't lack anything they need. Do they have everything they want? No, that's not what it says. They have everything they need. They don't need anything else. The young lions, they suffer want and hunger. Right? Even, even powerful beasts like that, sometimes they go hungry. Sometimes they fall asleep and their stomachs are hungry. But then it says, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. There's nothing that you need that God will end up providing for you. Those who seek the Lord, God not only feeds them, he takes care of them. He goes on, he talks about a lot more. Reminds me of this little section in the book of Habakkuk at the very end where Habakkuk is about to go through something extremely hard and he knows it. He knows the times in Israel are gonna get really bad, but he says, even if the fig tree doesn't blossom, even if there's no fruit on the vines, if the produce of the olives fail and the fields yield no food, if we don't get any food, even if we starve, says if the flock is cut off from the fold, we lose all of our animals, there's no herds in the stalls, right? There's no food for us. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will take joy in the God of my salvation because he's trusting that God will take care of him. He's trusting that God has saved him. If you're a Christian, you have even more proof that God has saved you. You can look back to what happened with Jesus and you can know for 100% confidence there's proof. If you ever doubt, there's ever times you're afraid or you're doubting or it doesn't feel like God is listening, I want you to know you have even more proof than David had because you can look back on what Jesus did for you when he died on the cross and rose again. It's a great comfort for us, especially when going through hard things, no matter what they are. So let's pray about this before we talk about it in small groups. God, please help us with this. Pray that you would hear our prayers now. Imagine that probably students who are going through things that are really hard right now. We know that there's nothing that has happened that you have not allowed there's nothing that's happened outside of your control. We trust you. We pray, though, we've, even though we are hurting and the hurt is real, I just ask that we would pray rightly about this, that we would take our pain to you first, that we wouldn't be complainers or grumblers, but we would talk to you first, and that we would ask real requests that are based on your promises. And we know that when that happens, we will we'll trust you, and you'll give us that faith, and you'll help us trust you. And then we know that that joy, rejoicing comes later. God, we know that you're not going to change every bad situation in our life, and that's for our good in some ways. I just pray that we trust you more and more. And this text, this psalm would help us trust you. And that as we go away and talk about these concepts and small groups, that you would help us learn and grow and be challenged, and that we would be more faithful prayers after this.